Father, we, we ask now that as we listen to your word spoken to us, that you would, you would give us your ears to hear you. Lord, thank you that the, the same spirit that inspired these words is the same spirit that is alive in our hearts. And I pray that, that we would hear and that we would understand and that whatever work you want to do in us today, wherever, wherever we are, uh, that you would do uh, that good work today. In Christ's name, amen. As followers of, of Jesus, there are, there are some times in our life, uh, some, some places where we go, where it's very easy to experience God's presence. If any of you ever ever been on, on a mission trip, uh, you know the, the, the energy that comes from being together with other people who are there for one purpose, uh, there to be together, to seek God, to serve other people. And you, you've experienced that, that time and that season where it was very easy to experience God's presence in that way and in that place. I think that for most of us here, when we're here on Sunday mornings and all of us are gathered together, it's easy to see and to remember that God is, God is real, that he, he loves us and he's, he's up to some good things in, in our lives. But there are other times in our lives, maybe, maybe, most, for most of, maybe for some of us, most of the time, it isn't easy to see or recognize God's presence in our life. Some of you probably experienced that this morning, getting your kids ready to come to church. My wife does that by herself every Sunday. Four kids, getting them here every Sunday. It's an amazing thing. For some of you, it's, it's your daily work that you do. It's really difficult for you to see and recognize God's presence there. Others of you maybe right now are facing circumstances in your life, frustrations in your life, sickness, conflict with somebody that you love, and you're just asking God, where are you in all of this? Christians in Ireland, the, the Celtic Christians uh, thousands of years ago, said that there were certain places in the world that they called thin places. Thin places were places where you could go, where, where the veil that separates heaven and earth was just a little bit thinner. And when you went there, you, you, you could experience God's presence in, in a unique way. Places where you go and, and you can experience and taste the presence of God in a unique way. Over the last couple of years here at Broadway, we have been talking about our Christian hope. You can describe our Christian hope in a lot of different ways. One of the ways we've been describing that is that our Christian hope is that one day that God will make his place and our place the same place. And here in our lives right now, we do get glimpses and tastes of that future reality. But because of, of human sin and because of the fallenness of our world, there is this gap. There is this veil between heaven and earth that keeps us from fully experiencing God's presence right now. But there are some times and there are some places where it seems like that veil is a bit thinner. Places where we go where we can get a taste of God's presence. These Celtic Christians called these places thin places. When I was in high school, 
One of those places for me was called Indian Creek Baptist Camp. And it's a a small little camp just north of Bedford, Indiana. It wasn't an impressive camp at all. It was very rustic. The pool was terrible. But every summer, every summer I went there and I met God there. It was a thin place for me. For me, I, I often experience that thin place when I'm gathered together here with you and when we, when we take communion together. It's a thin place. For others of you, you experience that when you are using your voice to, to sing praises to God in your own home or, or here when we're gathered together. Maybe it's in, in that prayer closet or that place right next to your bed where you kneel and pray. Where is your thin place? Do you have one? You have a place where you go to to experience in a unique way the presence of God. In the Bible, it seems that thin places were often up on top of a mountain. In the Bible, throughout the scriptures, we see people experiencing God's presence up on top of a mountain. Moses up on Mount Sinai. Abraham on top of the mountain when God provided that sacrifice as a substitute for Isaac. And Jesus himself, we know often, went up to a mountainside to pray, to be close to his Father. And that's what happens in our scripture today in Matthew 17. Jesus takes three of his disciples, Peter and James and John, and they go up to a mountain. And while they are there, they have this incredible, thin place, mountaintop experience where God's presence was so real, where they know in that moment that right now, God's place and our place is the same place. It was an incredible, incredible experience. But after it was over, Jesus and Peter and James and John, they walk off the mountainside, and Jesus gives them some instructions along the way, and then they get to the bottom of the mountain, and immediately they are met with problems. They meet a father who has a demon-possessed little kid, and this demon is always seeking to destroy this kid by tossing him into the water or by throwing him into the fire. And then Jesus, throughout this passage, is reminding them over and over again that he is going to have to go to Jerusalem and to be handed over and to be killed. And then at the end of this chapter, Peter gets, gets cornered by these tax collectors who ask him this silly question about whether or not Jesus pays his taxes or not. This chapter is, it's like our lives. We, we have these incredible mountaintop, thin, places, thin place kind of experiences, and then we turn around and we have to face our lives. This experience uh, where, that Peter, James, and John had where they were, were surrounded by the presence of God, and there was Jesus, and, and there was even Moses and Elijah. They experienced this thin place of all thin places, And then they have to go right back down the mountain and they face evil and they face hard and difficult and and also really mundane things of life. And for our purposes today, we're going to call these down the mountain type places, we're going to call them thick places. If the thin places are those places where we know that, that God is there, there are places in our lives that are thick places, places where it's difficult for us to to see where where God may be. We have to to face our life that is often filled with sickness and and evil and the fear of death and the frustrations of paying taxes. 
and the other mundane frustrations of our lives. The life of following Jesus includes experiencing the thin places and the thick places. And today I want to talk to you about how God is at work in both of those kinds of places and how we can respond to God when we find ourselves either in a thin place or a thick place. So as Jesus and his three disciples are, are up on the mountain, this incredible thing ha- happens. Jesus is right in front of them, transformed, transfigured, uh, just completely changed. His, his, his face is as bright as the sun. And there, Elijah and Moses appear right next to him. And Peter, who's, who's always quick with the word and a good idea, thinks that it's a pretty great place. And so he suggests, hey, Jesus, I, I could build you a shelter, and you could all just, we could stay up here on the mountainside for a while. This is a pretty great place. And as he is saying that, it says that God actually interrupts Peter. It says, while he was speaking, a bright cloud enveloped them, and a voice from the cloud said, this is my son, whom I love. In him I am well pleased. Listen to him. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, God speaks from heaven twice. And both times, he says exactly the same thing. The first time was at Jesus' baptism. And Jesus comes up out of the water, and a dove comes and descends on him. And a voice from heaven says, this is my son. In him I am well pleased. Who is Jesus? This is the most important question that any of us can ask. And it's a question that the world has been asking for 2,000 years. There have been more songs written about him, more books written about him, more people that love him and more people that hate him. You can do whatever you want with Jesus, but you can't ignore him. His existence, the fact of his existence, the impact that he has on our world demands some sort of answer about who we say that he is. The most important question that any of us can ask is not, what am I going to do with my life? Why am I here? Who should I marry? The most important question that we can ask, answer is, who is Jesus? And this voice from heaven twice says, this is my son whom I love In him, I am well pleased. It's a voice from heaven. And so the question is, will you submit? Will you follow? And will you, God adds the second time, listen to him? What happens in this story is that the veil between heaven and earth, it doesn't just get thin as they're up there praying. It gets ripped wide open. And when that veil is ripped open, Peter James and John see Jesus in all of his glory, in his perfect humanity and in his full divinity. They see Jesus for who he is. They see his glory and they hear this voice from heaven saying, this is my son, in him I am well pleased, listen to him. Peter, James, and John experience this moment where they know that God's place and their place is the same place. 
It's an incredible moment in their lives, and it's a moment that Peter actually talks about um, at the end of his life. In, in the, the letter of 2 Peter, when Peter is a very old man, he brings up this, this story again. It's, it's a, a story that he remembers about something that happened in his life, a significant moment that happened in his life. If you are a follower of Jesus, you probably have some thin place kind of moments in your life. Maybe not as dramatic as the one that Peter, James, and John have here, but a moment where you look back and you know that you experience the presence of God in a real way. These moments are great gifts from God. They are moments that we, that we talk about and we tell other people about and that, like Peter did at the very end of his life, we'll probably be talking about those moments for our whole lives. In these moments, we have the opportunity to see things for how they really are, to be reminded that God is real, that he is in control, that he is good, that he loves us. It's in these thin place, place moments that we often receive new instructions, new insights, new guidance about where God wants us to go. And like Peter, we often want to stay there. Let's just build a shelter and stay here on, on the mountain. This is a good place to be. But we know that we usually have to come down off the mountain. And when we come down off the mountain, we encounter things in our lives where it may be difficult for us to see where God is at work, where it's very difficult to remember that he is real and that he loves us. We experience these thick places, these circumstances in our lives where it's difficult to remember God and to remember who we are. And that's exactly what happens to Jesus and to Peter and James and John. They come down off of the mountain and here's immediately what happens. Verse 14. When they came to the crowd, a man approached Jesus and knelt before him. Lord, have mercy on my son, he said. He has seizures and is suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. Oh, unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of the boy and he was healed from that moment. And then the disciples came to Jesus in private and asked, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, because you have so little faith. I tell you the truth, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. They come off the mountain and they're immediately faced with this brutal and frustrating reality of life, this sick boy. And he's bound up with some demon that's trying to kill the boy. Can you imagine the father here? Can you imagine the anxiety that this father must have lived with day in and day out, trying to protect his son from whatever this demon was trying to do in his life? And Jesus hears about this, and he hears that his disciples aren't able to, to, to heal this boy. And we see a side of Jesus that we don't really see very often. It, he's usually so patient. But here, after just having this mountaintop experience, Jesus, how long do I have to stay here? Even Jesus himself is feeling the weight and the heaviness of the frustration of this life. 
But in his frustration, he, he has sympathy on the father and the boy, and the, he has the boy come to him, and he, he heals the boy. And then Matthew then tells us about this conversation that Jesus and his disciples have together. And the focus in this story, especially in the Gospel of Matthew, is, is not on why Jesus could perform the miracle, but why the disciples were unable to perform the miracle. Early in the gospel, the disciples had had success healing people. This seems to be something that Jesus had taught them. He had given them authority to do this thing, but in this story, they are unable to heal the boy. And this, this word in the Greek, unable, shows up three different times. I brought him to your disciples, but they were unable to heal them. And the disciples ask, why were we unable to drive it out? And then Jesus, in his response, says, um, uh, you can say to a mountain, uh, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be unable for you to do. Why were the disciples unable to heal this boy? Jesus gives some instructions here to the disciples about how to live in the thick places. How to respond when we come to a circumstance in our life where it seems as if God isn't there and that nothing that you can do, nothing in your own strength is able to address and to change the circumstance that you're facing. So what's Jesus' answer to why they were unable to heal the boy? They were unable to heal the boy because they had little faith because they have little faith. And so it must be that the disciples need to have more faith, bigger faith, right? That somehow the disciples' faith wasn't strong enough, big enough. But here's Jesus' answer. You weren't able to heal the boy because you had such little faith. But if you have faith as small as a mustard seed... You could tell this mountain to go from here and there. It would be done for you. The problem is little faith. The solution is little faith. Jesus doesn't say here, I tell you the truth. If you had the faith the size of a mountain, you'd be able to tell this mountain go from here to there and it would do it for you. If only your faith was bigger, if only your faith was stronger, if only you could summon up enough belief, then that thing you, you wanted to do would be done for you. That's not what Jesus says. He says your problem is little faith and the answer is little faith. That doesn't seem very helpful, does it? Jesus is like that sometimes. You go to the, the text. Mark chapter 9 is, uh, is helpful for us. So in this story, um, Mark tells this same story, gives us some more details. And at one point he says this, when they're having this conversation, it says, Jesus, after Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this kind can come out only by prayer. And some early manuscripts also include fasting. This kind can come out only by prayer and fasting. The disciples had learned how to heal people. They had done it before, and it seems that they had begun to rely on their own strength, 
on their own ability, on their own authority. And they were now facing a certain kind of thick place, a problem that could only be responded to with the kind of faith that prays and fasts. A kind of faith that leans more on the strength of the Father than in our own strength. A kind of faith that acknowledges that our little faith, it isn't enough. The things that we have done before, the spiritual resources that we have exercised and leaned on before, in this thick place, in this circumstance, it's not enough for this thing that I am going through. More dependence is needed. Prayer is needed. We need a little faith that knows to say its prayers and to become completely and totally dependent on God. In the thick places, we learn about our inability, about our unableness. We learn that what worked before for us doesn't work anymore. We learn that there is a different kind of faith, however big or small that we're being called to, a faith that still may be small and little, but that depends on God more, that rests in God more. A faith that realizes that we don't hold the answers or the strength, that we can't summon enough faith, but that we can look to and listen to the one who has the authority and the ability to do impossible things. And I want to suggest to you that we only learn this inability, this unableness. We only learn those in the thick places. There are certain things that you can only learn in the thin places, in the mountaintop experiences. But there are other things that we can only learn in the thick places, where the difficulties and frustrations and disappointments of our lives are so heavy, and we come to the end of all of our resources. We come to the end of all of the tools in our tool bag, and where we have to learn that there is something more yet about God, more yet about our dependence on Him and our relationship with Him that we're now being called to seek and to go deeper into. It's in these kind of thick places where we come to the end of ourselves, come to the end of our rope, and we realize, I don't have anything anymore. I don't have what it takes to get through this thing anymore. If real change is going to happen in my life, if anything new is going to happen in my life, if any healing is going to happen, God, you are going to have to do it. And so we are left with prayer and fasting. There are some other kinds of thick places in life, not the heavy trials of life where we're facing evil and suffering, but sometimes the mundane, routine, everyday annoyances of life like paying our taxes. Chapter 17, verses 24 and 25. After Jesus and his disciples arrived in Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax came to Peter and asked, doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? Yes, he does, he replied. Peter gets cornered by some tax collectors about this yearly tax that all Jewish people were supposed to pay. 
It was a tax that went directly to the temple to pay the, the priests and to pay the, the people who cleaned the temple and uh, kept the temple functioning. And Peter gets cornered by these tax collectors and asks him whether or not Jesus pays it. And I think Peter's like, um, I'm not really sure, but I don't want to have this conflict with these people right now. And so he just says, yeah, he pays it. Maybe Jesus did pay, but I think what's going on here is Peter is really wanting to avoid conflict, kind of like what I like to do, and he just avoids the conflict altogether. He kind of makes up an answer, and then he goes into the house. I think that because of the conversation that Jesus then has here with Peter. When Peter came into the house, Jesus was the first to speak. What do you think, Simon, he asks, from whom do the kings of the earth collect duty and taxes, from their own sons or from others? From others, Peter answered. Then the sons are exempt, Jesus said to him. But so that we may not offend them, go to the lake and throw out your line. Take the first fish you catch, open its mouth, and you will find a four drachma coin. Take it and give it to them for my tax and yours. Peter, the kings of the earth, do they tax their sons or do they tax other people? They tax other people, of course. Caesar doesn't go to baby Caesar and say, baby Caesar, give me money. He goes to other people and he asks them for their taxes. Jesus uses this as an illustration uh, about this particular tax. Who is the king of the temple? God is. Who just spoke from heaven and said, this is my son whom I love? God did. So Peter, um, I'm a son. I'm the son. I'm exempt from this tax. But pay it anyway. Pay it anyway. So as not to offend them. Now this is really interesting because when does Jesus ever really concern himself about not offending people? <laughs> Especially the people that are in charge of the temple. This is the guy who just here in a, a few weeks is going to go and turn over the tables in the temple and offend them very much. Jesus lives his life according to one thing under one reality that he is the son of the father and that the father loves him. And because of that, he is free. And Jesus invites us to live into that same kind of relationship with the Father. That in our lives, in the thick places of our lives, wherever we find ourselves, to remember that we are children of the Father, that we are free. But here Jesus says, I'm free to not pay this tax, but so that we don't offend, just pay it. What's going on here? Jesus has never been concerned about offending these people. Uh, this seems to be the people that he actually is most interested in offending. But here he says, so that we don't cause offense, just pay it. Jesus is on, on a mission right now. He is on a mission to go to Jerusalem and to die. And at this point, he doesn't want any distractions. If he and his disciples cause some sort of scuffle here about whether or not to pay taxes, it's going to distract from that mission. 
Maybe people would even start getting confused that his whole mission was about money after all. Jesus is picking his battles here. And in our day-to-day lives, we face all sort of thick places where we have to decide which battles are worth fighting and which ones are just a distraction. Do I get into that political debate on Facebook? Probably not. The guy in the office always leaves his dishes in the sink. Is it worth making a big deal about or not? As followers of Jesus, we have to pick our battles. In the thick places of our mundane life, we have to decide what's worth it and what's just a distraction. And are we going to use our freedom as sons to get our own way and to maneuver and to get the advantage of someone else or to defend ourselves or to get a leg up on someone? Or are we going to be at rest knowing that we are children of God? I don't need to use my freedom for my own benefit. I have freedom, but I don't always have to use it. There's no need to defend myself or to offend others just because I can. There are hills that are not worth dying on, and it would be a distraction or a waste of my time to pursue it. Jesus is so confident in his identity in the Father, as a son of the Father, that he is willing to not exercise his freedom even when he could. He doesn't demand his rights at every turn. He does what people expect of him, even if it's an annoying burden, even though he doesn't have to do it because he knows who he is. He doesn't have to demand his rights all of the time. He's free to not be offended. Can you imagine the church being a place like that? The people who are free to not be offended? The people who remember who we are? A people who are so aware of our identity as children of God that we don't have to be offended anymore by other people's opinions or preferences or convictions? There's a, there's a level of spiritual maturity that both knows who we are and knows what our rights are, but knows that we don't have to demand them all of the time. And I think that that's what this text is about for us as disciples, as we think about maneuvering the thick places of our lives. At every turn, we could always have our fists up and ready for a fight, ready to defend our turf, ready to demand our rights or defend our cause or to make sure that coworker does the dishes. Because that's what's right. And there's some things that Jesus says, it's just not worth it. Shrug your shoulders, do the thing. Pay the tax. Wash your coworker's dish. Ignore the insult. Ignore the political rant. Whatever it is, you're a child of the king. That's what defines you. Remember who you are and listen to him. Listen and respond to what Jesus is calling you to do in that moment. So there are these two thick place experiences that Jesus and the disciples have after coming off the mountain, where they face the reality of evil and suffering in this boy, and then just the, the mundane annoyance of paying taxes. And in the background of these stories is Jesus continuing to remind his disciples that he is going to suffer and to die. He reminded them at the end of chapter 16 that he was going to go suffer and die. On the way down the mountain, that's what he's instructing Peter, James, and John about, about the fact that he's going to go to Jerusalem and die. 
The Gospel of Luke says that uh, Jesus, when he was talking with Moses and Elijah, that they were talking about his death. Right after this boy is healed, Jesus then turns and reminds them, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him. And on the third day, he will be raised to life. And the disciples are filled with grief. He reminds them of this again and again. Jesus is moving toward the cross, the thickest of all thick places. The place where all of the disciples abandoned him. A place where he was mocked and spit on and whipped. The place where it was really hard, where it was impossible for the disciples and for those who were following Jesus and for his mother to see how God could be any part of the execution of this perfect man. Jesus gives up his rights as the Son of God, and he takes on a burden that he did not need to carry and entered into the thickest of all thick places by taking on the sin and suffering of the whole world on the cross. Just just a few weeks after hearing that voice from heaven, this is my son, in him I am well pleased, listen to him he would then experience this sense of complete abandonment by God. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But friends, this is, this is the good news. The miracle of the gospel is that that thick place of the cross became the thinnest place of all. Jesus' suffering becomes the place where we see the presence and work and power of God most clearly. It's the place where God himself actually chooses to make my place his place on the cross so that forever we could be together in the same place. The great story of the Christian faith is that we serve a God who entered into our experience, who took on our flesh and entered into our world filled with thick places. He faced evil. He endured suffering. He faced the common everyday annoyances and nuisances of life. We serve and worship a God who knows where we have been. We're not alone. We have someone who has walked with us and has endured this life with us. So friends, whether you are experiencing right now a thin place in your life where you are experiencing the presence of God in a real and tangible way, continue to, to listen for him and to pay attention for what he has for you in that place. If you are going right now through a thick place, remember that God is there with you. He's calling you to walk with him and to be with him and to turn to him and to to realize that you are now perhaps at the very end of yourself and the only thing you can do is to learn to be dependent and to pray and to rest in him. He's calling you and inviting you in that thick place to move closer to him and closer to him and closer to him so that you can learn to recognize his voice and listen to him and to do whatever he's calling you to do. 
Lord, we thank you for the thin places and the thick places of our lives, and we thank you that you are there in both of them. Even when we can't see that you are there, that you are at work, and that you are calling us to a deeper dependence on you. Lord, I pray that in our lives that we would learn to listen to you and to respond to you in in whatever circumstance we face in our life. Father, teach us a deeper deeper dependence, and I pray that that would be reflected in our life, in a life of dependence and in prayer and in fasting. Amen.